Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So as my kids um, are getting older, we find ourselves talking about the future more and more. Of course, Troy, my oldest, he's um, transitioning, going into sixth grade next year. He's getting in those middle school years. And with that starts, you know, coming talks about what does college look like or what his future job looks like? You know, what is he supposed to do when he gets older? All that kind of stuff. So he likes to ask and talk about it. Whereas my daughter, she likes to share her plans with us about her future. And unfortunately, it's very different than my boys. Our boys like to ask questions. They like to say, what is this supposed to look like? What are we supposed to do? How does this all work? My daughter does not ask questions. She just tells me what she's going to do in life. She tells about her plans for the future. She says she's getting married, having babies, and moving to California. (laughs) And I don't like it. And I keep telling her, I said, you you don't want to take the grandbabies away from us. I mean, you got to stay closer. And she not so gently reminds me that I moved away from my family, so she shouldn't be surprised. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised when she does it as well. And I tell her, well, what normal dads tell their daughters. I said, baby girl, you can do that. When you are 35, you are more than welcome (laughs) to get married and have kids. Like, this, this is fine. And she ignores me. And tells me that she's going to move in with her boyfriend at 13. So she says. And I gently remind her that that's not happening. And I think she likes to just pester me. I think it's, I'm in complete denial that anything like that's ever going to happen. That is her getting married and moving away. But we were in our normal conversations about the future, and she likes to do this. And I, I think she's joking. That's what we're going with. And she says, well, she said, Dad, I said, you just can't do that. She goes, I'm going to do it, and you're not going to know about it. (laughs) And so generally, Jessica lets me and her banter back and forth, but Jessica chimed in, which is unusual for these kind of conversations. And and when when Jessica chimed in, like, Daniela leaned in because, like, mommy has something to say, right? So this must must be important. Jessica said, Daniela, you, you know your boyfriend has to come talk to daddy, about marrying you first and and get his permission, right? Her face transitioned from this, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, to deep despair. (laughs) She said, what? Jessica gently repeated, "Your, your boyfriend has to ask daddy's permission. She said, are you serious? He has to talk to daddy first? And I smiled big. I said, yep, he sure does, baby girl. She realized in that moment, and she could not believe it, that he has to talk to me. And she sat there for a minute and said, you mean it's the law? He has to talk to daddy first? And I did what any good father would do. I lied. 
I said, absolutely, it's the law. I don't know if that's good parenting, but I feel fine at the choices I made in that moment. But what she found out is that what many of us find out eventually in life, that there is quite oftentimes this fine print, these details to situations we don't always know about. I mean, it's these details that don't stand out until they do. It's kind of like any contract has these big promises, but there are those fine print, those little details that I generally don't read or worry about. Anybody with me? The lawyers are just stomach hurts right now thinking about that. That's where they live. That's not where the rest of us live. We don't know. It's like what lawyers are for. We don't read it. It'll be fine. Let's just move forward. But today, we're going to talk about the fine print when it comes to following Jesus. You see, we've learned so far in this series that there are many great things and great reasons to follow Jesus. We've learned that he invites all of us to follow him. Whether you're a misbehavior, whether you're an unbeliever, not every, you don't have to have it together. Jesus just says, come on, come follow me. Listen, I'll take you as you are. Like You don't have to clean up first, just come follow me. So everybody's invited. We learn that he wants to take us to this place where our faith overwhelms our fears, that you and me, we don't have to live with anxiety, despair, worry, anxiousness. Like we don't have to live in that place. That Jesus wants to do a work in our lives where our faith in him is greater than our worries in this uncertain world. We learned last week that following Jesus should make us more compassionate, more filled with mercy, more merciful, more forgiving, more loving. I mean, it should make us better workers, better parents, better spouses. Like there's so many great reasons and so many great things Jesus does in our lives. There's tremendous amount of benefits to following Jesus. I heard one pastor say, following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. And that's generally true here in America. That works. There's huge benefits to following Jesus, but there's also the fine print. Something perhaps you weren't told when you signed up to follow Jesus. Perhaps something nobody's told you. They've just kind of completely left out. And if you're not prepared for what we're going to talk about today, when this happens to you, when this thing goes on in your life, if you aren't aware that it's coming... It will leave you distraught. It will leave you thinking that something's wrong, perhaps with your faith. You'll even think that perhaps God's mad at you or he's trying to get revenge if you're not ready for this truth. Well, to be honest, it's not really fine print. Jesus was pretty clear about it, but it's rather unpopular to talk about. The bottom line for today is this. So if you fall asleep, here it is. Following Jesus will, 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 will cost you something. There's a price to be paid. We're going to jump in the middle of the gospel with Jesus talking with his followers. Up until this point, I mean, Jesus has done some amazing things. He fed 4,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. He's healed the blind, and, and people are flocking to Jesus from all over the place to see what he's doing. They want things from him. In fact, the Pharisees are even coming to him, the religious leaders of the day, and they want Jesus to perform for them. 
They say, we need you to do a sign. We need you to prove who you say you are. Just to let you know, it never works out when someone wants Jesus to be their miracle worker just because they want to see a trick. And so Jesus regroups and talks with his disciples about everything going on and what all of this means. Here he goes, Mark 8, 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the village near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking, he asked them, who do people say that I am? He's saying, what, what, what's the word about me? What's the rumors about me? I mean, his influence is growing. He's extremely popular. Just picture this. 4,000 people are traveling with him in this caravan of people. Imagine if you were to drive downtown Conway and 4,000 people were following some guy. What would you think? That's what's happening. I mean, it's, it's this big scene. And so Jesus says, well, what are people saying about me? Who do they think I am? Next verse. They say, well, they replied. Some say John the Baptist. I'm not too sure how that would have worked out. John the Baptist was alive with Jesus, but we'll go with it. John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, a prophet in the Old Testament. And others say you're one of the other prophets. So they're saying, Jesus, we're not exactly sure. People aren't exactly sure. Excuse me. They're saying people aren't exactly sure. They're confused about him. But what they do know is Jesus is somewhat of this wonder-working prophet. What he's doing, just normal people can't do. And so they're confused, but they're like, hey, we, we know something like from God. You're, you're something. That's what people are saying. And then he asked, he said, well, but who do you say that I am? We, we got what other people think, but now what do you guys think? You've spent the most time with me. You've seen me up close and personal. What do you guys say? And you got to love Peter for this one. He jumps in. Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So Peter spoke up as always. Remember, he's not the cautious one. He quite often spoke before he thought. Anybody else have that problem here? Before you laugh, Jesus put him in charge of the whole thing. I just want to remind you about that, okay? Just want to remind you. It must be a good characteristic. I don't know. So he just spoke up, but this time he gets it right. And remember, this word for Messiah, this word for Messiah is the Greek word. The Greek word for Messiah is Christ. And so when we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, right? It means anointed one. So Jesus, they're saying he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's the anointed one. This is his title. Remember, the Jewish people were awaiting a Messiah, somebody who would come and rescue them from their oppressors. And all you have to do is look at the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures, and you see that God would send people, these leaders, to come rescue them out of slavery, out of bondage, or out of oppression. I mean, all sorts of different things go on. And so they quite often were used to this military leader God would send to bring them out of it. And so they're once again waiting for God to send this Messiah, this kingly leader, to rescue them from their oppressors, which happened to be Rome. They occupied Israel. So they're like, hey, we're waiting on this Messiah. We know he's supposed to come. And then Peter's like, yeah, and you're him. The Messiah has come. He's like, we know it's you. And Jesus says, yeah, but don't. Oh, go back. Jesus says, don't tell anyone about it. You see, their expectations are off. 
He still had a lot to do. They still had a lot to learn. And so he teaches them, well, I know you think this military leader's coming, this person to come just, just free you from Rome. Something different's happening. And he walks through what this looks like. Verse 31, he says, then Jesus began to tell them that the son of man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. So he says, this is what the Messiah is going to look like. No parables, no hidden meetings. He says, this is where I'm going. This is what's going to happen to me. I will suffer. I will be rejected by all of our Sunday school teachers, all the people we grew up with, all the people you looked up to. They're all going to reject me and they're going to kill me. But I'll rise. I'll come back. He unfolds his plans to his closest followers. He's saying, listen, your expectations are off. And folks, perhaps your expectations are off this morning about Jesus. But talk about killing the excitement. They've seen so many great things happen. They've seen thousands of people flock to Jesus. They've seen people healed. They've seen so many amazing things that can only be explained by God himself doing it. And Jesus teaches with this authority they've never seen. And so as his closest followers, they're realizing we are on the winning team. We have made it. We are with the Messiah. Like we, we are in, boys. We got this covered. Life is going to be great. But Jesus says, I'm going to be killed. I'm like, that's... It's not what the Messiah does. So Peter jumped up. Next verse. As he talked about this openly with the disciples, people, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Now we have to appreciate how close their relationship had to have been for this to take place. He said, Jesus, come here. I don't know what you learned about starting movements, but talking about being killed is not a great way to start. Like, we need to adjust this thing. Like, people don't like this. People don't want to die, Jesus. This isn't a great way to build up this thing you're trying to do. He says, Jesus, why are you getting all negative on us? You remember the storms? Just shoot them with lightning. It'll be fine. Like, you got this. Verse 33. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. So, so check this out. They're having a one-on-one conversation. Jesus is like, okay, got you. And he turns around in front of everybody to let them know what he's telling him. Jesus didn't let this go privately. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Check this one. Get away from me, Satan. I, mean, I had to sting a little bit, right? Get away from me, evil one, he said. This is why he's considered evil. I know you're reading ahead, but just pause with me because this is important for our lives. Why is he called evil? Because of this gross sin that he did? Because he mass murdered? Why is he being called evil? You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. That doesn't seem that Big of a deal, does it? I mean, come on. You ever looked at things from a human perspective before? And yet Jesus calls it 
from Satan? Like, Jesus, you're being a little harsh, aren't you? He says, get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Talk about embarrassment, Peter felt in that moment. He's concerned about the material things, his plans, his purposes, his life goals, his five-year plan, and it didn't involve the Messiah dying. Peter doesn't want his life getting messed up because it's going way too good. Everything's working out. He's getting kind of comfortable. He's learning what it looks like to follow Jesus. The Messiah's here. His dreams are coming true. And Jesus says, it's not going to happen much longer. What he wanted and what God wanted were two different things. And so evidently, there's a time when God's plans and your plans are going to be at a crossroads. Evidently, there's a time where God's desires for your life and your desires for your life are going to split like a fork in the road. Merely from a human point of view, how are you making decisions? How are you living your life? Are you concerned about things, this world? What it has to offer, trying to hang on to everything with both fists clenched. So he uses this as an opportunity to teach everybody what it means to follow him. He says, then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said. Now listen, Jesus said, all right, listen. He rebuked Peter in front of him. He said, you know what? Just gather everyone around. And I picture in this moment, Jesus saying, they said, come on, come on. Peter said something again. I know. Everybody come together. And they're walking up. What does Jesus need? Peter talked. Oh, my goodness. What are we in for? And the point is, I need this to be real for you. This isn't just a story. This isn't just a sermon. This is real people. This is real events with a very serious thing he's going to say next. He says, huddle up. Here's what we need to talk about. He says, then calling the crowds to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be a Jesus follower, if you want to be a disciple, you got to give up your way. We call that denial, self-denial. You got to deny yourself. So there will be times in your life where following Jesus and following your desires will be at a crossroads. It will be completely not what God wants for you, but it will make sense humanly. It will make sense logically. It will be the best five-year plan you ever came up with. And God says, nope. I don't want you to do that. I know you're worried about that. I know that makes sense. I know, yes, I know your education. I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go this way. And you're going to have to make a choice. There will be times when you are confronted with scripture, with your own natural inclinations, things that you want to do, and you're going to have to make a choice on, am I going to follow Jesus in this? Or am I going to follow myself? You see, when it comes to your desires... It may very well cost you something. Jesus said, you got to deny yourself. You got to let it go. And for these followers, we got to let this sink in. For these followers, this was very real because Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem where he would pick up a cross, where he would die on this cross. 
Jesus saying, if you want to follow me, you got to get ready to do that too. And this self-denial, I know it sounds hard, but we know the benefits of it. Summertime's coming, which means we all are thinking about losing weight at some aspect. Excuse me, or at least I am. And in order to lose weight, you got to practice some self-denial. If you want to get in shape, you got to deny yourself of those sugary, buttery, delicious treats. you got to deny yourself of that pizza or those burgers or that extra pizza or those extra burgers. you got to give up something for something better. And that's what Jesus is saying. you got to deny you when it comes to following me. you got to let go of what you want to follow me. So the fine print is for you and for me, following Jesus will, will cost you something. But he says, and you got to take up your cross. And this is literal. For us, we just make it metaphorical. Like, what is our cross? And we have to do that today. But back then, remember, cross represented the most, most gruesome form of death you could have. It was for the lowest of the lowest criminals. They would be beaten, they would be hung, they would just bleed out on this cross. And for them, this was gruesome. They knew what a cross smelt like. They knew what a cross looked like. They watched it, they saw it, they knew it was just gruesome. And Jesus says, you got to be willing to take that on. You must be ready to die for me. And while we can't apply it the same way, you're not going to have to worry about a cross. We have to think about the seriousness in this moment. So when you come to that choice, when Jesus asks you to make that turn, you're looking at it going, well, he was serious about this. This wasn't just something he threw out there. This was a big deal. And they're faced with what perhaps you're going to feel like you're faced with. Are you ready to give up your life for Jesus Christ? And I'm sure many people were like, well, what perhaps you feel like here today, going, well, you know what, I'm good. And so following Jesus, I don't, I don't like the fine print, this whole deny myself, take up my cross. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to get in all that. Like, I like my life. It's pretty great. I mean, I'm retired. It's awesome. I don't want to get into that stuff. Jesus says, well... Knowing our fears, knowing how we think, he thankfully continues. Mark 8, 35. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, which we all lean in. Yeah, I want to hang on my life. I don't want to go on a cross, Jesus. Like at all. I want to hang on to my life. In fact, some of us are dating like, yeah, I want to hang on to my life. Do you know how many pills I take to hang on to my life? Like I want to keep this thing. I want to grab hold of it. I don't want it to go anywhere. He says, well, just stay with me. Follow a couple If you want to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. You're like, I don't, I'm not following. He's like, okay, hold on. You're going to die. No matter how much you try to hang on to this life, no matter how much you try to hang on to your things, no matter how much you try to stop bad things from happening to you, it's not going to work. We will all inevitably die. Each in every one of us. We will lose our life. So if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But, Jesus says, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, that is the gospel, that is his mission. So not just for him, but what he's come to do. And this is where some of us need to think. What are we willing to give up for the mission of Jesus Christ? He says, you will save it. 
So if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it anyways. We're like, okay, we got that. We got it. But if you give up your life, if you live this self-denial, this self-sacrificial, if you say, hey, I'm willing to do whatever you need me to do, Jesus, if you give up for it for his sake, you will save it. You will find life. So if you give it up for Jesus, if you give yourself to Jesus, if you're ready to take those risks and those chances and you follow his way, he says you're going to end up saving your life. So try to hold on to it with everything you got. You're going to die anyways. Giving it up for his sake and his purposes, you're going to find life. This is how it works. He says, and, you're like, okay, got that, and, what benefit what benefit, excuse me, and what, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And this is so practical, we get it. He says, what good is it for you if you, you get everything you've ever wanted on this earth, all the houses, all the cars, anything you wanted? Imagine you got the perfect light, everything. He said, what good is it to have all of that stuff? Do you just give up your eternity in the process? He says, well, is anything worth more? Next slide. Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything more valuable than your soul? When it's all said and done, what would you give up for the security of your soul? Now, follow me with this, okay? Imagine, this is make-believe, just follow me. Give me a second. Imagine you're standing before God and you realize for whatever reason you didn't get in. It didn't happen for you. You didn't get into heaven, whatever that looks like. He says, God said, listen, what are you willing to give up to get in? You'd look down at your life and go, my house? Take it. I don't care. My kids are just trying to sell it and I don't live in it. I'm not worried about it. Take my house. Would you give up your career? You're like, I don't work there anymore. I'm dead. Take my career. Your bank account? You're like... I don't got it. I'll give it up. Take, take my bank account. He's saying, right. What's more important than your soul? What wouldn't you give up on earth for the eternal security of your soul? Whatever gaining the whole world looks like to you, would you give it up the security of your soul? What's more important? To which we all say, nothing. Nothing is more important than our soul. We discover and they discover our eternal security, our soul, whatever that looks like after this life is far more important than, excuse me, our soul is far more important than these things. Like there's nothing worth holding on to if our soul is at stake. So Jesus says, see, you agree with me. Holding on to all this stuff trying to keep it, denying me and following you, you're going to die anyways. You're going to give it all up anyways. And in the end, is any of that more important than show? We're like, no, nothing's more important. And this is, of course, a life-changing moment for them and a life-changing moment for us. We discover that our future destination and our soul is far more important than anything we gain on this earth. You say, well, Following Jesus, I may have to give things up, yeah. But something greater is at risk. Something more important is at 
My soul is at stake. He says, yeah. Well, that's far more important. Jesus said, of course. That's why we're talking about it. He says, if, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. He says, so going forward, I need you to be with me. If you're going to be my follower, there may be a cross in your life. There's going to be these things in your life. You're going to have to make a decision where what you want and what I want are going to be at odds. I need you to not be ashamed of me. I need you to stand on board with me. I need you to get on the same page with me and follow after me. He says, because if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. To which we pause and we think, well, that's not very fun. You say, well, I'm not sure about this. What, what, what does this mean? Just understand, this is Jesus pointing to that future day where he says that we're going to stand before God and give an account of our life. Even the Christian will stand before God and give an account. And you say, well, I'm, I'm not too sure if I believe that. Well, listen, everything else Jesus predicted came true. Everything else he did, dying, rising, all that's come true. So we can just believe this as well. There's going to be a point where we're going to stand before God and give an account. So what is more important in our soul? What is more important than being a Jesus follower, not being ashamed, standing with him and for him in this world? What's more important than that? You see, following Jesus will cost you something. Will for all of us. Salvation, however, is free. It costs you nothing. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Jesus gave up his life so we could live. God created human beings in his image to share in this special relationship so we could have fellowship with him. Sin broke that relationship. It distorted that relationship to where we no longer had a relationship with him. Jesus came to fix that. He died for us on the cross. He substituted himself to reconcile us with God. And if we accept his forgiveness and his grace, if we turn to him rather than trusting in ourselves, we will be forgiven. We will have salvation. So we can't earn our salvation. That is abundantly free. Salvation costs you nothing, folks. Don't mishear me. But following Jesus will cost you something. And the good news is, chances are you and me, we're not going to have to die for our faith. But you will be called to die upon some things for your faith. There will be a day that you're going to have to make that choice. It may cost you a job. You realize that the demands of this certain job or the mission of this job or the values of this job conflict with who you are as a Jesus follower. You may have to give that up. You may not be able to explain it, but you know you need to move on to something a bit different in your life. It may cost you money, realizing that if you took that promotion, it's going to cost you your family. If you took that promotion, it'd stop you from being able to serve Jesus. If you gave your life to this company, you can't give your life to Jesus at the same time. It may cost you that promotion. It may cost you money. It will cost you, I can guarantee you, friends. Following Jesus is not for everyone. If you follow Jesus, a lot of people will not understand it. A lot of those relationships you want to hang on to, they won't be able to sustain. If you're following Jesus, they won't get it. They won't want to be with you. It may cost you friends. 
It may also cost you something deeply personal. Because we all find that we have these natural desires in our heart and our lives. We don't tell people about them. But those things going on inside of us that do not align with what Jesus is doing. And for some of us, we have to adjust. We have to work through it. But for some of us, denying that part of ourselves is going to feel like a death. Like we're missing part of who we are. And denying those wants and those desires that we never asked for, that we never wanted, that God just, however it worked, was just put in our lives. Saying no to that stuff may seem impossible. To which Jesus says, but what's more important than your soul? To which we say, nothing. Nothing is. And he tells us up front, the fine print is, Following him will cost you something. It's not going to be easy all the time. And before we brush this off, we have to remember the seriousness of the people he spoke to, of the torturous death they could face. This may feel for you like a defining moment in your life when this happens. You don't have to worry about what does this look like, how is this going to work out. You're going to know in the moment when it comes that this is what he was talking about. This is that time i got to say no to me and i got to say yes to Jesus. And in that moment, you may feel lonely, you may feel rejected, you may feel scared. But it's in those moments we know whose we are. We know what's important to us. You see, following Jesus means, folks, we can't have it all. It's not possible, but we can have him. We can have Jesus, and that's far more valuable and far more satisfying than anything else in this world. And some of you are on the verge of walking away from Jesus. You want to follow yourself and that relationship or with that job or whatever else that may be for you. Just know this is his call saying, "Uh uh-uh, follow me. Say no to that. Say yes to me. Some of you are fighting with him right now. You're arguing with him. You're following your ways. You're like, I don't want to do all that. I don't want to get involved in that. Jesus saying, stop. What are you doing? Come on. Let's go. Following me may cost something. But salvation is free, folks. But following Jesus will cost you something. So be ready. The time will come. Don't be shocked. Don't be nervous. You'll know it when it happens, but just accept his call and say, all right, this is what Jesus asked for. This is that fine print. I'm going to follow after him today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving this teaching for us, and I ask you to give us the boldness to embrace this message. Heavenly Father, this message lands differently for all of us, and I ask you to give us the boldness and the wisdom to allow you to lead us in our personal circumstances. We thank you so much for the salvation found in Jesus. We cherish the forgiveness of our sins found in him, the redemption and reconciliation, so we can have a relationship with you. Thank you so much for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Heavenly Father, we ask for abundant clarity when we face these choices that will cost us something. We are well aware it will not be easy, but we confess that our souls are far more important than our things. So help us, Father. Forgive us where we failed and allow us to start fresh today, knowing and embracing that following Jesus will cost us something. But knowing and believing, we'll be glad it did. 
when you work it all out for your purposes and for your glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand?